0: Hello, I'm Kenny Smith, and this is The Best Story I've Heard Today, a podcast for news junkies. We know you can't possibly see all of the great content being produced, so we bring you a story that you might have otherwise overlooked. Our guests each day tell us about the best story they've found today, and today we're pleased to welcome back to the program Dr. Lauren Smith, a professor of sports media at Indiana University. Lauren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me back. Tell us about the story you found today, Professor. Tell us why the rest of us should read it as well.
1: The story isn't new. It's a story that's happened multiple times over the past couple of years. Probably the first time I really paid attention to it was when UConn hit their 100-game winning streak. There were a lot of stories then about how women, uh, the UConn women were too good. They were too good for basketball. They were ruining the game of women's basketball. And there was a lot of speculation and stories then about, were they too good? Um, and it spawned off you know, this conversation. They went on to the tournament that year. They won. Again, we had to have the whole conversation about UConn's too good. They're ruining the sport. Rinse, lather, repeat. Uh, This year's conversation began when UConn beat St. Francis in the tournament. UConn was the number one seed. St. Francis was the number 16 seed. Uh, UConn defeated them 140 to 52, uh, which was a sizable, sizable margin.
0: A big Uh, way to ruin the game.
1: It was. And, um, you know, along with a a couple enlightened comments um, by you know, people on sports and social media, uh, you know, some people noting that, yes, this was impressive. Um, Other people noted, oh, my God, this was too much, you know, too much. UConn just piled it on. It was too awful. Um, I heard that there were a couple comments about, let me know when the UConn women make 140 sandwiches and then I'll be impressed. But of course, that was sort of the impetus this year for this conversation. Um, And so that was the first article that came out saying, no, this wasn't a great thing. It was a loss for women's basketball. And from that point on, we've had multiple reaction pieces that have talked about you know no it's not a loss and here's the problem the problem's in media coverage and then there's a response to that that says no it's not the media coverage it's it's this other thing and people don't care and and when you wrap it all up into one um, I wanted to read a quote from the um, an article from Think Progress which I think sums up the whole you know, conversation and where we are to this point so far, the article says, "Are you following this? UConn is really good at women's basketball, which is bad for women's basketball, and nobody covers women's basketball, but only because nobody cares about women's basketball because women's basketball is bad unless UConn is playing, in which case they're so good that it's all bad again." So <laughs> we sort of have this cyclical argument that that comes and it and it repeats, and so here we are once again for the annual March conversation of. <laughs> UConn is too good. They're ruining the sport, which evolves into nobody cares about women's sports. It's just not that important for anybody. And so the media doesn't cover it. Chicken egg argument. Does the media not cover it because people don't care? Or are people not caring because it's not in the media?
0: And somehow in all this, UConn's unprecedented 25-year almost reign of success becomes a proxy for women's sports in general. Right. So where do you where are you going to
1: start? It's a circular argument, so pick any point on the circle. Um, start at any level, and you can unpack any level. And there's you know micro-levels, there's macro-levels. Um, if you want to start at the program dominance level and start unpacking that, then you can look at other dominant programs.
0: Let's do that. Nobody said this about UCLA when John Wooden was winning in basketball uh, every tournament. Nobody says that about Alabama football right now. People say that about the Patriots, but that's because they get tired of the winner after a while, right? Right. Right. And so—
1: you know, you're talking about this argument, but it doesn't seem to hold weight, um, or at least we can't figure out where it holds weight. Where it holds weight, the difference is is that all of those sports that you mentioned, um, UCLA, Alabama, the Patriots, they're all male sports. Here we have women. Mm-hmm. Somehow, women are ruining the game. If you look back, actually, to uh, when softball and baseball got originally removed from the Olympics a few years ago, um, the argument for why softball and baseball baseball got removed was a very different argument. You know, baseball was removed because there was corruption, there was steroid use, there was, you know, a couple other things going on that removed it. Us or softball was removed from the Olympics because. The U.S. was too dominant. It was too good, it it wasn't a level playing field. But that's really what that argument centered around. The women were ruining the game.
0: Is that where we are in the Yukon? And I don't want to harp on them alone, but they are a proxy for all this. But that seems like what is going on in women's collegiate basketball. That's just an an amazing juggernaut. They've built something there. And again, for a quarter of a century, it's been challenging for any team to— Compete against them in a sustainable way,
1: right? You know, for a long time, Pat Summit in Tennessee reigned pretty superior over women's college basketball. But I don't remember the leveling of, um, you know, Pat Summit's ruining the game. Tennessee's ruining the game, and no, they didn't have the dominance that UConn has has had with the win streaks and the consecutive mm-hmm. streaks. But Pat Summit had an impressive program at Tennessee. They won championships. They were a dominant program. They're not right now. They're not what they were. But, you know, that criticism wasn't leveled at them to my understanding, the way it's being leveled at UConn.
0: In professional sports, there's a goal of trying to create parity so that the games are interesting. Mm -hmm. Is that part of this, too? We're really just lashing out as fans or media that the games are just 70-point blowouts in basketball. That's not what people paid to see today.
1: I don't know because people are seeing, at least in terms of the women's basketball arena, they're seeing this one game. But most of the people that see that and hear that news probably haven't followed women's basketball throughout the entire season. You know, so they're they're basing their assumptions, they're basing all this off this one story. And it's easy to look at one story and one element and say, oh, you're right, this is terrible. Um, and then when you hear people talk about, well, UConn's so dominant and they win all the time, you know, it's, it's easy to say, oh, well, then you're right, that must be bad. But not following the team, not knowing what they do, not knowing the stories behind, not knowing the players, not knowing the statistics, you know, that brings you a different perspective that probably... The, the greater viewing audience that all of a sudden has to chime in with their perspectives, they don't have that.
0: Which gets us to the media layer of unpacking. We are reasonable to expect that some people who are diehard fans of a program or the sport would follow. Most people follow a sport or a program at a much reduced level and that they would get their consumption either through attending games, perhaps sometimes watching games on television when they're on, if it's their team or they have the opportunity or online or hearing, watching, reading about it in the media. Mm-hmm. These sports just aren't covered to the same degree that men are.
1: Not even close. Not even close. And and study after study, research entity after research entity has showed that women's sports are not covered. They don't receive the degree of, of coverage that men's sports do. There's been the Cookie and Messner study that is, has studied sports longitudinally for the past 20, 25 years at this point. There have been specific studies that have done on March Madness that have directly compared the women's tournament to the men's tournament. And it's not just a little bit of difference, you know, oh, the men's received 60% of the coverage and women receive 40%. we are talking about, you know, over prime time, we're talking about men receiving 97% of the coverage, 98 women receiving two. Um, when looking at the direct um March Madness studies—you are talking about men receiving a significant portion of uh, the media share for uh, March Madness, and what the women receive is, is minimal compared to that. And it's not just March Madness; it's not just—we're talking about all sports. Um, Anything
0: the, where there is a head-to-head composite, kind of.
1: There is the exception being Olympics, and that's the only place where we really see women getting getting coverage in the media. Uh, that coverage, once the Olympics end, doesn't translate out into um, coverage, even though those sports continue.
0: So the question remains, why the disparity in coverage?
1: There's a lot of different thoughts and theories. Um, You know, one of the arguments that we can't ignore is the makeup of people in the media.
0: The statistics have
1: been put out there that Dave Barry was, in his response, was one of the first um, people to, in this year's conversation, talk about the different statistics um, of that the media industry, uh, the sports media industry, is primarily dominated by men. And and people have rightfully so brought up that the impetus is should not be on women to cover women's sports. But when ninety percent of editors are men, when ninety percent of the sports industry is male, you have men in decision making positions. You have men bringing in biases about women in sports. There's that. Um, there's also economic decisions that that come in, which you know brings into this chicken and egg viewpoint of. Are people not watching women's sports because there's not an interest, or are they not watching women's sports because there's not media coverage to drive that interest?
0: We could talk about media in two contexts here, then. The reactionary, if you will, sports media covering the events of a a team, of a game, of of the day, of the season. Or media in the context of people who are providing coverage of the league throughout, much like the networks cover the NFL – or the NBA. At a women's sports context, those things aren't covered by any of these national networks. That's a business decision, too, or at least not to the same degree. Um, you can see some WNBA. During, the, during their regular season and, and, and see that in coverage on, on highlight shows, but to see a game through, to see a season through in that way, it's a lot harder in a women's sport than it is to consume a men's sport that way.
1: There is, and when you're talking about rights contracts, you don't see the same, the same exclusive rights contracts with television stations for women's sports that you do for men. Why not? Because the media will say there's not an interest for it, that people are not watching women's sports.
0: But the next thing I'm going to ask you is about the study that says 46% of sports fans are women. Mm -hmm. And presumably some of them would like to watch women's sports a lot of
1: them would like to watch women's sports above and beyond that 46 percent there are men Absolutely. male sports fans that say i like to watch women's sports uh Absolutely. despite despite all of the people that we see coming out on twitter that love to point out how they don't care about women's sports which always makes me laugh if you don't care about it why are you on twitter telling me how much you don't care about it but i to hate tweet <laughs> that's true right. that's, that's true but women yes there are women's sports fans there are male sports fans both of these like to watch women's sports I don't know. I, I have never seen a study. I've never seen an explanation. I've never seen it come together of why individuals aren't watching women's sports. There have been studies that have been done that have shown that the production values are different in male and female sports. The production values make women's sports less exciting. There's you know,
0: those are business decisions by a network.
1: They are they are business decisions.
0: How but many cameras? How many crews? The best crew, the second best crew, so on.
1: Because they've they've somehow in their business decision and business calculus decided that the interest the interest is not there. The advertising dollars won't come, and it's in their business decision and their business interest to not put women's sports on television, to not cover women's sports.
0: I would say, as a devil's advocate, they're not making that decision in a foolhardy way. But we've also talked about, very briefly, there's a lot of women who want to watch women's professional sports or collegiate sports. There's a lot of men who enjoy various women's sports. There's an audience there for it. But let's assume that my Devil's Advocate stance that they're doing this purely at a, at a focus group, business decision, dollars and cents level, let's assume that Devil's Advocacy is wrong, then we are passing up as a network the opportunity to cover – a league and tell stories about them at a substantially discounted rate and have programming, and that's what it's about, at a substantially discounted rate relative to what Major League Baseball, the National Football League, the NHL, the NBA, all demand out of their television rights packages, which are astronomical, particularly in the context of a television time where money is about to get very tied in the medium.
1: It seems like it would be a good decision on the part of the networks. It's an interesting one of why they don't make it. And um, I was in listening to and hearing all the different viewpoints, uh, Molly Enedy pointed out the other day that ESPN created a market for poker. Um, if they can create a market for poker, then there should be able to be a market created for really any sport. Darts uh, is
0: about to make a second comeback on television.
1: Is it really? Yeah. Well, so is the XFL. So, so, so there it is. It's my belief that that with the right storytelling, the right impetus, and the right you know promotion behind it. The viewers are there. The interest is there. It just has to be tapped into in the right way. People went crazy over Chloe Kim during the Olympics. People go crazy over women during the Olympics. She's People, not the
0: only good story. Right?
1: No, and she's not the only good story. And she doesn't only show up every four years and snowboard. She has a career. Yeah. She competes outside of that. What
0: a great story.
1: And and all of these other women yeah. that compete in the Olympics usually compete outside. Uh, we're here at Indiana University. Lily King was a, was a sensation at, at Rio in 2016. About a week or so ago, she broke her own American and NCAA record. Her story continues. It continues on beyond the Olympics. These products are out there. They're out there to be told. And part of this conversation that we that we have here with March Madness and UConn and It's Too Good, I think the part of the conversation and where we talk about what's wrong with women's sports and, and what's wrong with this conversation and where this all breaks down What we're really not talking about is women's sports. In all of this conversation, nobody's talking about what's actually happening during the women's tournament. Nobody's talking about the incredible plays. But we're not hearing about that because we're hearing about how UConn's ruining the game. And that happens across all sports. We're talking about how much people don't care about women's sports. It's hard to get them to care if you're not going to give them something to care about. And just like in sports in general, there's a ton of amazing stories, there's a ton of amazing athletes, and there's a ton of amazing things, stories to be told and products to be sold um, and things to get people interested in behind because we've seen it in the Olympics. People will get behind it. Chloe Kim fever, Lily King fever, um, other you know athletes, Simone Biles and, and the gymnasts and everything else. It's there.
0: There's always a Katie Ledecky somewhere.
1: Right? Yeah. And and to no, to my knowledge, nobody has said, even with Katie Ledecky and how dominant she was in swimming, I haven't heard anybody say Katie Ledecky's ruining swimming. Who,
0: if anybody, is going to figure this out in terms of the, the media outlets to, to bring us a product as an audience that is ready to be packaged and seen?
1: It's seemed like a no-brainer decision for a lot of years. At some point, we hope that the scales will tip, but this is a conversation not only that we've been having about UConn, but we've been having in the sports media world and sports media scholarship for a bunch of years. I mean, we go back to 1996, the 1996 Olympics. That was supposed to be the watershed moment for women in sports. Women's sports have gotten better. The product has gotten better. The media quality has gone down. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that.
0: Any other sports that are suffering in this way that don't get to do that they should because of either perceived, a perception of lack of attention or a perceived too much dominance?
1: UConn sticks out in my mind. Um, The softball, the removal of softball from the Olympics sticks out in my mind is another one. Um, Softball is coming back. Um, I didn't really hear any conversation that Canada was ruining women's hockey when they were so dominant with the Olympic gold medals for so long.
0: That's because America had the underdog aspect of that.
1: That's true, but you know, Canada was still on top. But we didn't we didn't hear that Canada was ruining hockey.
0: And that was the best night of hockey in the Olympics. The best night of hockey. I I'm not a hockey aficionado, but the easily the best night of hockey I've ever seen.
1: It was an incredible game. I thought the women's game was was better than the men's game this year.
0: Everybody did. The NHL kept their players out. The referees were were becoming a laughingstock online in terms of the Olympic calls. And then over here, quietly, in many respects, the women had an incredibly compelling tournament, which went to overtime and shootouts for the gold. Are you kidding? And this sort of on the anniversary of Lake Placid, which now I'm comparing men and women, but that's a historical thing, to get to shootouts. And it was very much the same sort of thing. Canada going for, I think, a fifth Fifth. unprecedented gold. Yes. And the scrappy little American team. Well, they weren't really scrappy. Not quite so scrappy, no. <laughs> but it's easy to build those narratives, and I think that really gets to the point. You're talking about production values and storytelling. Those things are there, if and but somebody takes the time.
1: If they do. And most of the players on that American team are going to continue to play. They're either playing professionally for the U.S., or they're playing in college right now. They're out there, and they're playing. Yet that fervor and that fever that surrounded the U.S. women's hockey team is probably going to die off, and we won't see people following the women's professional hockey team next year, we won't probably find that fervor and audience translating into college games because it's just not there. The stories aren't out there. They're not being told.
0: Is the easiest remedy then to try and convince media to cover this, to try and convince a network to carry it or to get more fans there? which one? One of these has to be the origin in the chicken and the egg paradigm.
1: There was a conversation here on on Indiana's campus not that long ago about students not showing up to, to games, that you have to give them a product to care about in order to get them to show up. The product is there. It's there to care about. It's easy to put that together and it's easy to showcase it. You could put together a woman's game that's that's produced in a better manner, hire some announcers that know what they're talking about. Um, Please stop having John Tesh and Al Troutwig, you know, commentate on gymnastics, you know, things like that hurt the sport. If you have commentators that don't know what they're talking about, you know, you as a fan get annoyed by that. But when we're talking about production values and graphics and and camera shots and angles and how exciting the game becomes, that's that's not hard things to fix. Um, so if you can build a more compellingly produced product, but also talk about stories and and talk about these incredible things that these athletes are doing as athletes. there's not a mystery there in how to package an athlete. You know, their background stories are different, where they've come from are different. Those are compelling in their own ways. But when you're talking about the athlete in terms of athleticism and what they're doing on and off the field, the court, in the pool, on the floor, in the arena, on the pitch, it's there. It's there. And people want to hear about it. They want to consume it and they want to see it.
0: And they're new stories. They are. Relative to, to the ones we hear every year. Absolutely. We've got links to this story that you brought us and to Dr. Lauren Smith below the audio player, please do check those out. Lauren, thanks again for being with us today.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. This is the best story I've heard today. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll share it with others. Thanks for listening. We look forward to sharing stories with you again very soon. I'm Kenny Smith.